Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering the Biden administration. So even though it seems like much longer than this, we're a couple of days now into the new administration and a couple of days into what almost certainly will be a new relationship between the White House press corps and the White House. It's been refreshing the last couple of days to watch White House press briefings that aren't like a cage match. And it'll be interesting to see sort of how that goes and how that feels to the people in the room. I'm really happy to be joined by Sharish Date, who is a senior White House correspondent for HuffPost. Hello. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. So you were you were at Jen Psaki's first briefing on Wednesday in, um, at the White House? I was. I was pool all day covering uh, Biden from from when he uh, went to the church service to the fireworks on the South Lawn at the end of the night. So, yeah, I was I was there, including what was a, a very bizarre press briefing for me after four years of, uh, of what we've seen. It should be noted that Sharish was in the pool who traveled with Trump. A lot of people remember remember you from your questioning of Trump in August, and you re- you asked him whether he regretted lying so much to the American people. And he had this like expression like, oh my God, I have to get out of this as fast as I can. And he, he was like, it's sort of a hilarious clip, which I'm sure you've seen a thousand times. But just talk to me just first about the the atmospheric differences um, between the Biden team and the Trump team in terms of like, what is their communi- what is the press people's communication with you been like? How open have they been? What is their demeanor? The sort of, how, how do you sort of gauge them? Uh, granted, it's very, very early. Right. What, what do you see? Well, as you say, it is very early. And for the past uh, year and a half, of course, uh, Joe Biden has been a candidate. And uh, the, the purpose of the, can, the campaign of the, and the candidacy is to win. And so they were, uh, they were difficult at times in not answering things that you'd want them to answer. And other times the, you know, the access was, was, was great. But you know, they have the goal of, of actually winning first the nomination and then the White House. We'll see how that works going forward. I, I think the, the White House briefing itself yesterday was perfectly normal briefing from, from yeah. everything except the you know the last four years where you ask a question and you get an answer and sometimes it's not the answer that you think you deserve and or or maybe it's not uh, completely responsive to the question but it, it's done in a professional and and generally pleasant way it, it is not a uh, an opportunity for for the for the press secretary to demean and insult and basically create a a spectacle for the for the benefit of of the president or for you know social media or whatever was going on uh, with some of the Kaylee McEnany and uh, and uh, Sarah Sanders briefings. So and yeah, on, we're on. off to we're off to a new start. Let's see how this goes. But remember, Jen Psaki used to be the uh, the spokesperson over at the State Department. Yeah, and so you know she's used to knowing that every single word matters. And she'd go up there with a big giant book with uh, labels for all the countries, and the question would come up because the, the eyes of the world are on you, and and so what you say has consequences. And, and going back to that, I think to that mode is is important for the United States because mm-hmm. 
you know, we've taken a huge hit in our credibility uh, around the world. And we're lucky that most of the world saw that as not as the United States, but as this one guy who had inflicted this upon the entire executive branch. So, you know, maybe they'll give us a pass on it. But it, you know, it, it is good to see that, that we're getting back to what a, what a grown-up country uh, ought to be like. Was it disorienting? Uh, was it disorienting to have this normal exchange? Yeah, it was, it was completely, it, it, was, it was very calming, for one. And um, the whole day was. In fact, it finally hit me uh, as the fireworks were going off. And I was looking back at the, at the balcony where the president and, uh, and Mrs. Biden were, were watching. And it finally struck me at that moment. Yeah, he's really gone, isn't he? This is uh-huh. things are. <laughs> we made it. We as a country, we made it. And then today, did it feel? Because it felt so, it's. Uh, you know, I, when I when I did this intro, I I said it. It's a weird feeling today because on the one hand, it sort of feels like Trump's been gone a while, which obviously is not true. Did do you have the same sensation or no? No, absolutely. And I think the reason is. Trump has only been gone for, let's see, you know, uh, a day and a half or so. In uh-huh. reality, though, he was gone when they banned him on Twitter. Yeah. Right? I mean, he'd yeah. gotten so used to putting whatever he wanted up on Twitter, not just his little text, but also little videos that his social media person, Dan Scavino, would make for him. And those things basically replaced any meaningful news conference or, or press briefings or any of that. Mm. He'd just been doing that for five years. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was abusive. It was dishonest. It was all those things. And suddenly it was gone. And for, for the last two weeks, ever since, the, you know, the, the attempted coup on the Capitol, um, it's been much, 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 much different. Yeah. And, I, and I think now that he's physically gone as well, I, you know, I'm very curious to see whether people are even afraid of him at all in a couple yeah. of months. Yeah, I saw a picture and it must have been from on must have been from Tuesday, but there's a picture of his family, of of uh, of his sons and their families and and I was like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe these people were running our country. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like no, it seems so it, sort of no, out of absolutely. body. It seems so out of body. Um, in the first week of the Trump administration, I walked uh, up to upper press and there was Sebastian Gorka. Was uh-huh. an actual employee of the United States White House. Okay, Sebastian Gorka and Steve Bannon were helping run uh-huh. the country. I mean, that's how insane things were. And it, it, even just a few weeks ago, Donald Trump was taking advice from Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood. Right. Yeah. So this is like uh, the Island of Misfit Toys, and uh, and except far more dangerous, of course. And it's yeah. good to see people who actually believe that government can be a positive good and and important in in the in the country and, and and for the world so we're already starting to see this conversation happening as it relates to the press about the dangers of grading biden on a curve right um and it 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 it, it also relates to how you interact with him in in exchanges with saki or other press officials like because they're not lying to you or because they're not insulting you or because they're not threatening you, you know, it's, it's easier to like, think, all right, well, 
I'll give him a pass this time. Um, I'm not saying anybody's doing that, but I do think that there's a lot of like froth among people who are like, especially, I mean, and I see it both from the right and from the progressive left. Like we got to hold, you know, we got to hold their feet to the fire. We got to be just as aggressive with them. We got to sort of approach, um, approach them with the same sort of like uh, passion that we approach Trump. What do you make of all that argument? Do you think that it's, that it's one or it's premature or that it's just wrongheaded? Uh, honestly, I think uh, I think the the, funda- the fundamentals of it are wrongheaded and always were, frankly. I mean, I, I remember um, back when I was in Florida, I I covered the Capitol. And when you cover government, when you cover government as opposed to politics, you get a very different view of things. Because uh, I would have conversations with with the person at, at my news outlet, uh, my newspaper, who is the who is the political editor. And his view on stories was, well, you know, the, the Democrat will say one thing, the Republican will say another thing, and the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. And I just looked at him and was like, well, no, the truth is where the truth is. And, yeah. you know, and if one side is closer to it, then it's your job to, you know, describe that and make it clear to your audience exactly what is true and what is not. And already I'm seeing stories about, oh, well, you know, you promised to reach out to the Republicans, and yet you haven't uh, appointed yeah. a Republican to the I mean, come on, you know. When are you going to? When are you, you going to unite the country? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, the, and it, part of this is Biden's entire campaign. His his number one thing was, "I am not Donald Trump." That is yeah. why he won the nomination. That is why he won the presidency. So, you know, I mean, he, I, I think the bar is low for him, but that's because the other, uh, the incumbent, had basically dug a hole and threw the bar into that. That's yeah. how low it had been. So. So you you wrote a um a terrific um long piece for HuffPost a year ago about lying in in the Trump administration and sort of the the the, the sort of mentality and and um and the extent which was extraordinary and then you wrote a book called The Useful Idiot about Trump um but what what is your how cynical are you about um White House is lying to the press. Um, is it just baked in um, to the, the exchange? They've got a job to do. You've got a job to do. Sometimes they, sometimes those goals intersect, and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, they'll do what they got to do. It ha- has I don't I, I don't know if it's fair to frame the question, citing the Trump lie, which is sort of off the charts, but. What, has, did it change your level of sort of cynicism about politics in the press? Well, actually, it, it, to the contrary, it's, it, it made me think about how we did frame that exact question. And, and I realized that um, it is very easy to say they all lie. And in, and in fact, most Americans say exactly that. But it's really not true. Most politicians don't lie at all. They will uh-huh. not answer a question. And this is something I pointed out in, in that piece and then you know, reflected in more detail uh, in, in, in the book. But most politicians don't lie at all. In fact, they go out of their way to make sure they're not lying. From because both parties. Upon, from both parties. Because once upon a time, it was considered really, really bad, potentially career-ending, if you uh-huh. were to be proven in a lie. So what uh-huh. they'll do is you'll ask a question, and they'll answer a different question that they wanted to, to answer. In fact, that's that's PR 101, I guess. Um, yeah. Or they'll they'll uh, spin things in the best possible light for them. You'll ask, uh, why is the unemployment rate so high? And they'll say, 
the unemployment rate is much lower than it was a year ago or two years ago, or it's lower than it was under, you know, uh, Barack Obama's second year, whatever. And yeah. to me, that's, that's fine. I mean, yeah. they're not being direct and they're not being totally responsive, but they're not lying. And yeah. we can't conflate that with just straight up the sky's purple today and, and uh, you know, and, and, ex- and you're expected to believe it because he says so which is where we got with the Trump people. And that's just, that's just fundamentally wrong. I mean, forget about government. That's just fundamentally wrong. And, yeah. and obviously democracy can't work that like that as the president, former president proved when he, uh, he spun this entire insane lie that, that the election had been stolen from him, And he conditioned people to believe him and to disbelieve everyone else. In fact, he'd even said that. Back in 2018, he literally said that, don't believe what you see and hear, believe only me. And a significant percentage of Americans were ready to do exactly that, as we saw. So you see the the Trump line era as an aberration in your experience? Well, it is an aberration uh, so long as it's not repeated in four yeah. years or even yeah. in two years. You know, if, uh, if I doubt it would happen with, with the, with the group of people that uh, uh, the Biden White House has assembled, but it could, I suppose. But that's something we we can't tolerate. I mean, as I said in that in, the, in that article, if your mayor or your city council member behaved that way, you would have like recalled them or definitely yeah. booted them out of office years ago. It's just not tolerated. And and I think a reason for that is is a lot of Americans see uh, Washington D.C. as this abstract idea, something that doesn't really affect their lives. And, and, and so it can be treated as a game, uh, my team versus your team. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, that's fine until there's a real crisis, for example, the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, people end up dying. Way more uh, Americans have died per capita than, for example, Germany, which took the virus seriously from the get-go. Yeah. So maybe, maybe all of these things uh, that we've had in the last few years will be a wake-up call. I mean, uh, we'll see, I suppose. But words matter, actions matter, and and uh, and the government matters. Yeah. What do you think is the most? What do you think is going to be the most the the subject area that's the most contentious, or the sort of like storyline that's going to be the most contentious for Biden and the press? Um, um, wh- wh- you know, where do you where do you sense there's going to be the most sort of friction? Do you know that yet? Uh, I don't. But because Biden had such a uh, how do I put? It? I mean, his wasn't a point by point campaign. We're going to do yeah. one, two, three, four, five, and those are these these very crucial, important things. I mean. He, Generally, he wants to uh, do something about climate change. Generally, he wants to improve racial relations and and uh, and bring about actual equality and equity. So, because he was as vague as he was, it'll be hard to say he's succeeded or he failed. But that's mm. something that's so artificial anyway. I mean, um, and and part of this is a, lo- a lot of White House reporters, for whatever reason. Um, are generalists. They don't really know that much about the economy. They don't really know that much about foreign policy. 
they read up on it quickly when something comes up they have to write about. So there's not a whole lot of expertise. The main expertise is politics. Can this mm. person win re-election? Uh, can this person uh, get his approval ratings? Uh, that, that kind of stuff. So in that sense, that's where I do see, and I'm already seeing, the kind of uh, this is how we'll hold Biden accountable. How is he going to bring unity to the country? How is he going to make the Republicans work with him? Mm. Well, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it it would be interesting if, if Mitch McConnell were to be asked those same questions. But mm. so, you know, I... I and, 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 and I don't know how much that resonates with actual audiences either. So yeah. just as a caveat. What do you think, have you put some thought into, um, given what the press just went through with Trump, um, what really needs to change in terms of how the press corps covers a presidency? That, you know, I know that what needs to change is that you have a president that doesn't lie, but what about the press's responsibility? What do you want? What do you not want to see repeated this time around? I, I think the failure in in the with Donald Trump with with the press was was something shared by the by the Republican Party. I mean, the party had a responsibility to make sure someone like Trump could never get the nomination, and they failed. At the same time, Donald Trump was seen as uh, driving audience numbers as driving uh, uh, cable television ratings, uh, bringing your story clicks, et cetera. And, you know, that was irresponsible. I mean, I, I remember I, I was one of the, f- the first ones to write a really, um, you know, uh, unglamorous story about his background, pointing out that the man basically inherited a billion dollars. So it's easy to be a billionaire when you start out with a billion. And for that, I was basically blackballed by the Trump campaign starting in like the August of, of 2015. So, uh, but that should have been like the routine story because yeah. it wasn't a secret. I mean, the, the guy had bankrupted casinos for God's sake. How in hell could he be you know, treated as a, as a successful billionaire? Uh, and, and that was kind of, well, because he's a great quote. He was fun. He, uh, he was entertaining. And, you know, come on. You know, we're, yeah. we're not writing about American Idol here. This is, this is important. And so, Maybe that's where the press fell down. Maybe that's where we we collectively need to get better into making sure that the audience understands that this matters. You know, this really does matter. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I went back and I've been re-watching and re-reading the coverage of Trump's uh, announcement when he ran in, in June of 2015. And there was there was this sort of undercurrent of, it was almost gleeful. It was almost like, this is going to be hilarious. Literally, uh, literally right. a lot, especially on cable. It was, it was like, um, this is really going to shake things up. This is going to be, this is going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. I can't wait. And you know, some of the very people who later sort of came around to the idea that he was a real threat didn't see it that way at the beginning. Right. No, that's absolutely true. In, in fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I mentioned this anecdote in in, uh, in the useful idiot the the conversation I had with a colleague at National Journal where I was working at the time, he came up to me and, and this would have been like autumn of 2015 and said, you know, I'm really worried about Donald Trump because man, his people are fanatics and he's kind of a fascist at heart and he's dangerous. And I just looked at him and said, look, Donald Trump is not going to get the nomination. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. the party in the end is going to decide this and the party does not want Donald Trump. And, uh, and he kind of shrugged and said, well, I hope you're right. And he, of mm-hmm. course, 
he was right and I was wrong. The party abdicated that role. And because there were so many candidates running that time, uh, they all of them had a self-interest in in what they thought was letting Trump destroy their opponents. Then they would be. I mean, it was insane how, how that happened. And, yeah. and maybe that, you know, it, it, it won't be replicated because it was it, it was so unusual. And also, there are not many people out there who have proto-fascist tendencies who also have this name ID based on this fraudulent depiction on a TV show that was successful for 15 years. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of Donald Trumps out there. Yeah. So... Um, you you covered Trump, which which was like a which was a crazy twenty four seven thing, and now you're rolling right into this. I mean, you got <laughs> did you have second thoughts about wanting to go right back in, or did because a lot of people I've talked to a lot a, a lot of political reporters are like, I need a break, burnout. It's been <laughs> like really. I mean, and you you've done a lot of stuff. I mean, you've written novels, you you've sailed around the world, and you've got other interests. Did you think twice about it, or are you like, no, I'm in? Well, for me, the bigger story right now, honestly, is what happens to the Republican Party? Uh-huh. I mean, is, is are they going to grow up? Are they going to go back to some semblance of having um, an ideology, even if the ideology is low taxes and no and 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 low regulations? That is still an ideology. We can argue about whether it makes any sense or not, but it's something that's not based on a single human being's uh, personality, which is yeah. what we have right now. And yeah. I, w- I was at the RNC meeting, actually, uh, on January 6th down in, down in Florida. And I was watching this um, unfold on television. And then the next morning, the president, after having incited this, called into the RNC meeting down in Florida. Um, and most of the members cheered for him. They yeah. cheered for him, right? So. That's where we are right now. 147 members of the of the Congress, 139 House members, and uh, eight senators went along with his scheme to question the results of the election with the hope of overturning uh, Biden's win, which, by the way, was by seven million votes. Right? That's not nothing. And and that's where the party is right now. That's not a good place. And how do they how do they get out of that? And the first thing it seems is to decide that no, this man is 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 no longer our leader, and, and I'm seeing precious little leadership along those lines from from the what's left of, of Republicans on the Hill right now in leadership positions. So, it's a story you can't walk away from at this point. No, this is this is really important. I mean, you know, we had the when's the last time that we've had like the destruction of a major American political party, right? It was, uh-huh. it was when, uh, I, I guess, when um, the Republican party was born after the end of the Whigs. And <laughs> so 170 years, 160 years, this is, this is a big deal. And the system of government here, I mean, we're not a parliamentary system. We can't have snap elections. I mean, we're, whoever wins, we're stuck with for four years. So we need two parties and we need two grown up parties. And uh, if one and of maybe them, more than two, maybe more than two. Well, you know, if, if if the if we're interested in having some sort of uh, coalition, then then perhaps. But as it stands, you have one president. You know, you, you don't have an executive yeah, committee yeah. presidents, so it's kind of hard to yeah. to have like a, a a coalition set up like you know some governments are able to do. 
Um, and that's rooted, frankly, in, in the Constitution. To change that would be incredibly difficult. Yeah. So does does the Republic? I mean, Trump has already said, "Well, I'm going to start a new party." Well, I, I, I doubt that because you know, he's fundamentally a lazy person, and creating a party is a lot of work. So, but will something else come? And if so, is it, is it going to be this nativist party that's based on on white grievance? Because that's what he tapped into. Mm-hmm. You know, he. He, he basically tapped into the 25 or 30% of base Republican voters who are still mad about the Civil Rights Act, some of whom may question whether the right side won the Civil War, right? That's the kind of, of, of folks you would sometimes see come out at Trump rallies, and many of whom showed up at the Capitol a couple, you know, uh, on, on January 6th. That's not a healthy place for a major party to be. And uh, it's important what happens to them next. Sharish, it's great to talk to you. It's been my pleasure, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Thank you for um, coming and enjoy the um, sanity of uh, the moment. Um, (laughs) I'll try to get some sleep. You can follow CGR's ongoing coverage of the new Biden team at CGR.org. Read our daily email newsletter, Media Today, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 